Welcome to Reading to Kids podcast. I'm your host, Jenna. And I'm your host, Peyton. And we're here to read to you or with you. We know that sometimes moms and dads don't always have the time or the motivation to read to their kids each night, and we know how important it is. So, on those nights that you're not in the mood, we're going to do it for you. Can't wait to read with you. Good job, Peyton. High five. So we're going to talk about a little lesson that we learned today, huh? The we, most important thing is kids have to learn how to yeah. say no. That's right. You have to learn how to say the word no. Why is that important? Because you have to say no when you know something is wrong. Right. So if somebody tries to talk you into doing something that you know isn't right, or maybe somebody's acting a way that you know, like, that's not good. I shouldn't act like that. And sometimes it's easy to see people doing things and want to do that even though you know it's probably maybe it's right for them it's just not right for you so you just have to be able to learn to say no I don't that doesn't feel good to do I don't think my mom would like that or I don't think that's a good choice for me yeah right because then that keeps you who you are Mm -hmm. and not who they are yeah that's right that's why everybody's so special because they have their own choices you have your own beautiful brains in your head and you guys are able to make decisions for yourself, but you some, have to make the good choices. Some people have one wrinkle, some people only have a couple wrinkles yeah. on their brain, and then some people have a lot of wrinkles. But you and everybody listening to this podcast has lots of wrinkles. That means you've learned what? A lot. A lot. Cause Every wrinkle means something that you learned. Yeah. One wrinkle means something you learned. That's right. And a couple like weeks ago or so, Mm-hmm. I earned my wrinkle wrinkle. Yeah, she learned about wrinkles, and she was like, hey, I just got a wrinkle wrinkle. Okay, now, if you can hear, we're going to learn another lesson. We can't have the dogs in the room while we're podcasting. No, absolutely Because <laughs> I think everybody can probably hear them going, rawr, rawr. Yeah, definitely. They're a little loud, so just let me just pause this, and you guys are going to come back to a nice, perfect, quiet, potty casty. Hold, please. Oh my god, it's so quiet in here. No dogs. Hey. Actually, I love having the dogs, but like when they're being loud like that like, during a podcast. Yeah. Not cool, man. Okay. Not cool. We are reading chapter 25 of If You're Reading This, It's Too Late, the secret series by Pseudonymous Bosch, book two. Okay, we're on chapter 25, page 113, which we just started implementing. Better late than never, I will say. Chapter 25, The Invisible Man. The basement of the Magic Museum was once occupied by a large workshop that for most of the part looked like it could have been anywhere in the world. Normal hammers and wrenches and saws swung from hooks on the wall. Normal scraps of wood and metal lay on the floor. A normal scent of sawdust and glue filled the air. But whereas in a normal workshop where you might find someone making a chest to keep blankets in, the chests made here were meant to be sawed in half with somebody inside. And whereas in a normal workshop, you might have found a wardrobe cabinet designed for coats, here the wardrobe cabinets were designed for making tigers disappear. In short, it was a magician's workshop. I want to go to a magician's workshop. That's cool. As Cass and Max Ernest walked in, they saw an old man standing behind a workbench. 
He looked up at them briefly and then returned to a large silver vase in his hand. It had two handles and looked something like a trophy cup. He seemed to be fixing something at the bottom with a screwdriver. He was he wore a no velvet cloak, just old work clothes and a leather apron. He had no long white beard, just curly gray hair and a bushy mustache that snowed sawdust everywhere whenever he moved. And when he resembled and and if he resembled a man from a fairy tale, it wasn't the noble noble wizard Cass had imagined. It was a humble Italian woodworker, father of Pinocchio, Geppetto. Still, Cass knew who he was right away, as if she had known him forever. Excuse me, are you Pietro? she asked, her heart beating hard in her chest. Oh, Mr. Bergamo, I mean, she corrected herself, remembering that they'd actually never met before. Pietro will do, he said. Oh, cool, it is Pietro. Pietro will do, he said. Pietro is really old? Yeah, because his brother Luciano is the twin, but he's like the evil twin. Hello. Oh, yeah, right, right, he's the young, the young, right, he was the young though. Well, he has the young potion, that's right, the elixir. Pietro will do, he said, by way of answering, not looking up from his work. His voice had a timber similar, had a timber similar to Dr. L's, but Pietro's voice retained more native Italian accent and more of his native humanity. The resemblance to his brother was uncanny but not in the usual way of twins. It was more like seeing an old portrait of a friend's ancestor. Portraits that look exactly like a person when you know they have a di from a different era at a different age. Unlike Dr. L's smooth, ageless face, a better word might be facade, Pietro's face bore all the marks of time, scars, spots, wrinkles, and veins. It was imbued with that in ineffable sense of history, of life lived, and of experience gained, and only the best in old faces poses. He could have been Dr. L's father, or even his grandfather, maybe an uncle, anything but twin brother. Well, I mean, I'm Cassandra, she stammered. This is Max Ernest. Pietro remained silent. Max Ernest felt compelled to jump in. We're the ones who saved Benjamin Blake from the spa last year. The one, the, the ones when, who, Owen? Yes, oh, I know. a whole year? I guess, geez. Yes, I know, said Pietro gently. At last, Pietro finished doing whatever it was he was doing to the vase and looked up at the two intruders. So, you have found me at work in my new stage. What stage, Max Ernest said, confused. My favorite stage, off stage. Pietro smiled to show he was making a joke. I mean, I have retired from being a magician. I was never the great entertainer. That was my brother. So these days, I only make the magic. I no longer perform it. Here. He placed the vase on the table in front of them. Each of you take a handle and pull, but gently. It's very old and I don't want to have to fix it again. They pulled and for a moment nothing happened. Then a little silver leaf sprouted above the lip of the vase as the stem grew taller and taller as if it drawn up was drawn upward by an invisible sun. Soon other branches were growing up from the central stem, leaving sprouts on each other until a little silver tree stood in front of them. One by one, delicate golden flowers budded and bloomed all over the branches. Whoa, said Cass. Double whoa, said Max Ernest. I've never seen one of those before, even in books. You can imagine what people thought 150 years ago, before the movies and computers and special effects. As they spoke, 
A glittering gold canary emerged out of the top of the bloom and began to sing a lovely screech. Before the canary could get out a second note, its voice turned to shrill, to a shrill whine, and the whole tree started to smoke. Is that supposed to happen? asked Cass nervously. Pietro laughed. Mm, not at all. It's supposed to sing Mozart melody. Now, if I were on stage, I would have had to pretend like I wanted it to smoke all along. He gestured towards the gears and the half-restored automa automata around him. What I meant about making the magic, I create illusions. I design them and build them, but I do not use them so much anymore. And now you can see why. Wow, so you're, uh, well, what do you call it? I've never heard of what, someone that does what you do, said Max Ernest, as if that made such a job impossible. There's no name for it because nobody's supposed to know that, what, that it's done. We like magic to be a mystery, no? You don't want somebody to know who's standing behind the curtain playing with the mirrors. That ruins the whole thing. We call him the Invisible Man, said a voice from the back. A tall, pinched-looking man with a, a pin behind his ears walking towards them. William Wilton Wallace III, certified public accountant at your service, he said, handling each of the newcomer's business cards. Mr. Wallace, an accountant by day, but is the Tercis Society architect archivist by night pietro explained nice to meet you said cass oh well we've met before when you were in diapers said mr wallace with an expression of distaste as if he could smell the diapers in question i did the books for your grandfather for your grandfather's store until i gave up on them far too organized absolutely hopeless but those two i expect you'll feel the same well no i Cass trailed off, wanting her grandfather's, but not wanting to pick a fight. And this is Lily Wee. I think you've met her upstairs. Pietro nodded as the beautiful black-suited woman entered the room. Of course, she's just not a receptionist. She's a master of the Chinese music. Lily smiled modesty. Master is a relative word. Will you play for them, asked Pietro, indi indicating the collection of exotic instruments hanging on the wall. Lily tilted her head in assent then picked an old odd violin like an instrument with a horse head curved at the end of the neck where a scroll should begin. This is the Morn Curve from Magnolia. Close your eyes. Cass and Max Ernest obeyed and suddenly they heard the sound of a horse galloping. The horse whinnied but then stopped short right next to them. The effect was so startling that they opened their eyes. Lily laughed softly still playing in the olden days they made a Morton Kerr from the skull of a horse. They said you can still hear, still hear the horse's ghost. The music became lovely and mournful, and then she moved on so swiftly that they never saw her pull along the needle of the sword of her violin bow. But by the time they grasped what was happening, the sword was tickling Max Ernest's throat. What? He gasped. Lily dropped the sword as quickly as, as, as just as quickly. Cass stared, pale, pale. I forgot to tell you, Lily is also a master of defense, said Pietro, enjoying their reaction. Are, what is the term, muscle? The kids look suitably impressed. You will always be safe when I am nearby, said the demure receptionist, sheathing her sword back in the bow. So then you knew what, it, you knew it was us all along, Max Ernest, still quivering from the shock? I suspected, but I had Owen take a look at the case. Owen? Is he here? Cass looked around. 
right here. Everyone turned to see the goated, goateed Englishman sitting quietly by the chair in the wall. He removed his glasses. The kids groaned. How could they not have guessed? The question is, why are you here? Said the English Owen. I seem to remember dropping you off at home. Give them a second. They'll tell us in a moment, said Pietro. How can you always look so different, said Max Ernest. Even, is that even your nose? Of course it's mine, said Owen, offended. He pulled on his nose and stretched it like putty. I paid good money for it. Everyone laughed. Cass felt a sudden surge of happiness. The members of the Tercis Society might not be the knights of the around knights of the round table any more than Pietro was a Merlin was Merlin, but at that moment she wouldn't trade them for anyone, even Owen. So then, is this everybody? she asked. At this, Mr. Wallace coughed and looked at Pietro with raised eyebrows. They will turn up when we need them, you'll see, said Pietro defiantly. I'm sure they, they'll put on a fabulous show, sniffed the archivist. He was obviously skeptical that they would turn up, whoever they were. The Tercis Society has many friends, said Pietro, turning back to Cass and Max Ernest. But it is well that we do not all know each other. Speaking of this, have you two figured out our name? Max Ernest figured out over the summer. He's really good at stuff like that, said Cass and uh, Cass in case anybody didn't know. It's the secret backwards, right? Said Max Ernest. Exactly right, said Mr. Wallace, sounding faintly disappointed. The early members found that whenever they said the word secret, it aroused too much interest. They called themselves the Tercis Society. Oh, it's Turkis, not Tercis. Okay, because it's secret backwards. The Turkis Society so that the riff-raff would stay away. He looked hard at their young guests. Cass and Max Ernest took an involuntary step backwards. They had a thousand questions about the Turkish society, but they sensed that they might not be, might not be the time to ask. And now perhaps you will tell us why you're here, said Pietro. You took a great risk. Cass looked at Max Ernest. He nodded and she removed her backpack from her back. Suddenly, she unzipped it and pulled out the sound prism. Pietro twinkled. Ah, I knew you would have a good reason for coming. He shot a look at Mr. Wallace, as if to say, told you so. Owen laughed and shook his head ruefully. You sneaks, not even a mention of it in the car. Showed you up, did they, Owen? Asked Lily slyly. Cass and Max Ernest glanced at, e glanced at each other, unable to hide their proud smiles. We heard this was stolen, said Cass. It was indeed, said Pietro. You have done a very great thing. And who can I say? Averted much tragedy. Uh, Cass was about to hand him the sound of prison, prism, but he held his hand up, stopping her. And now, how do they say it on television? I have a mission for you. If you choose to accept it, they nodded eagerly. Cass gripped the sound of prism in excitement. Good. I think you may have heard of the homunculus. Yeah, but it can't be real, said Max Ernest confidently. You can't grow a man in a bottle. It's not possible. The Midnight Sun thinks it's possible, said Pietro. Yeah, but you don't, er, right? The magician let the question hang. In a room like this, with half-built illusions all around, who could say what was possible? 
and that's why they want it," said Cass after a moment, "because they think it's one of these man-made guys, and they want to make it. They want to make another one." We think that they want something from him," said Pietro. "Something he has or knows where to find." "Like what?" said Max Ernest. He wasn't ready. <sighs> he still wasn't ready to believe that the homunculus existed, let alone that it knew anything. The grave, said Cass, remembering the conversation that they had over the boat. Pietro nodded. That would be Lord Pharaoh's grave, the alchemist who made the homunculus. He called himself Lord Pharaoh. Assuming this exists, he added for Max Ernest's belief. Isn't that redundant? Like calling your king, king, said Max Ernest. Oh, King Pharaoh, that's funny. Pietro laughed. Redundant, yes, and vain, but those were not his worst crimes. The Midnight Sun, they, the Midnight Sun, they believed he knew the secret. Max, Ernest, and Cass fell silent, treating this information with the gravity it deserved. Pietro put a warm, calloused hand on each of their shoulders. You must find the homunculus before the Midnight Sun. It is the utmost importance. Max Ernest stammered in surprise. Us? But but they're only children, protested Lily. It does seem dangerous, said Owen. Not that I'm volunteering. Pietro is insane, even for this is insane, even for you, Mr Mr. Wallace said, red faced. Yes, isn't it? He smiled broadly at Cass and Max Ernest. Cass tried to smile back and show she was brave. She wanted to ask more about the homunculus. About <clears throat> why they were being given this task, but all she could do was get out how. With that, Pietro pointed to the sound prism. After all, it belongs to you. Before she could ask why, he continued, it's the, toll that, it's the only toll that we have, and you, Cassandra, are the only one who can use it. Cass looked at the ball on the other side of her hand as though she'd never seen it before, as though it were a stranger looking back at her. And we have been ditched by Peyton. Okay, see ya tomorrow.